0: Please don't come to me with a problem. Come to me with an idea.
1: Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Hey, welcome to
2: Digital Marketing
1: Masters. I'm your host,
2: Matt Rouse, and my co-host Carrie Rouse is here today. How you doing, Carrie?
0: Hello, hello. Great.
2: Fantastic. And today our guest is Bunny Young and she is a business therapist. Bunny, how are you?
0: I am brilliant. Thank you for asking.
2: Fantastic. I wanted to have you on the show. I was looking through one of the sites where we uh, booked some of our guests from and it said stunt woman turned businesswoman. I immediately I was like, that's the headline, right? That sucks everybody in. I'm sure that's why it's the first sentence, right? So let me ask you straight up. Is that the subject line of every email that you sent?
0: No, like <laughs> no. on a monthly basis, my email subject lines definitely change. We were talking about the autoresponders offline. And so, but that seems to be what people think the funnest thing to say about me is, is that I'm a stunt woman turned businesswoman. For all of your listeners, I can tell you being a stunt woman was a hell of a lot safer than being an entrepreneur. So, <laughs> like, the reality is, you should be more impressed at the business. Woman, aspect in 2020 than the amount of safety protocols and risk analysis, and my team that fully supported me as a stunt woman. So, you know, but that could be said about owning a business as well. So, right, there's no safety nets in business. (laughs) That's true. I I mean, I have people on my team that save me from myself all the time. So they're they're my safety net.
2: (laughs) Right. So I wanted to we're talking about living your passion and and building a better life with your business. Right. At the same time, I, I think the first question that I really have is. You talk a lot on like YouTube and on your website and stuff about burnout is kind of a big topic. Um, and that's something that comes up a lot in the business world, especially lately. Do you want to maybe give us an idea about kind of why you talk so like or, or I shouldn't say so much, but why you talk about burnout and kind of how that came out and how that contributed to you know, the whole idea behind, you know, your coaching system. And yeah,
0: so I can tell you pretty simply that, you know, I used to be a therapist and I retired from being a therapist because most people went to counseling because they were having marital issues or issues with their job and burning out in both relationships. And with marriage, it sometimes even had to do with their job about being a workaholic or the finances or all of those kinds of things. So I made the exam executive decision, being a, a third generation entrepreneur, having grandparents and having parents that showed me what it looks like to have that work life alignment, because balance is BS. And if you haven't figured out that already, like let that go today, because there's no such thing as work life balance. There's just a work life alignment. And so I said, you know what, I'm not going to try to fight this anymore from a comfy couch inside of a 12 by 12 room where people aren't actually making any real, I mean, there were, I want to give it to some of my clients and patients that there were making changes, but I thought I could change really the world from the organizations inside out and bring mental health and mental awareness into the workplace. And so, being able to identify that our military is one of the, you know, highest at risks occupational wise for burnout. And, you know, they're not alone though. CEOs burnout, executives burnout, call center individuals burnout. And now when you add in the aspect that we're not having the decompression of the drive into work and the drive home from work, If you're doing remote working or if you're an essential employee and you're having to do all of these protocols on top of it and carry this anxiety around with you everywhere and get your job done and be all of the things to everyone. Burnout is a really horrible thing to experience, but basically what it is, is your body letting you know that it needs a break. And that you are taking on too much and that you are operating too far outside of your work-life alignment and purpose. So, you know, if you think about your purpose as this road that you're on, if you start to off-road, you're going to get a little bumpy, right? But you can you can course correct. Well, most of us are somewhere out in the boonies and have no idea even how to get back to the road. That's how burnt out we are. We wouldn't even know what life felt like if our cell phones were taken away from us. And we've actually done studies um, where you take somebody's cell phone away and they basically have a panic attack or you take a cell phone away of an individual and they experience phantom buzzing or phantom vibrations and they their cell phone, they're consciously aware that their cell phone is not in the room, and yet they're checking for these phantom vibrations. And so burnout is a physical emotional spiritual and mental experience and it's most often described in five stages which is the honeymoon stage of your body's dumping chemicals in your into your system to get you through this short-term burn and you're excited you know you take on a new job and you want to say yes to all of the things that's the most vanilla experience that I can describe of of the first stage of burnout and then you go into you know where you're starting to burn out and you have stress and you're aware of this stress. Hopefully self-awareness is really key to this. Then you move into chronic stress and after chronic stress is where you bottom out at that burnout. And that's where you start to disassociate. You start to lose your productivity. You start to have difficulty sleeping. It's impacting more of the four spheres of the self. And then similar to the second and third stages after burnout, there's habitual burnout where we are most of the time as Americans, where we don't use our PTO hours, we don't use our wellness benefits and habitual burnout is our baseline. And that is something that I'm really hoping to make a huge dent on in my time here on earth.
2: Yeah, burnout is a very real thing. Uh, And different people have different kind of like burnout levels, I guess I would say, you know, you see some people kind of burn out in a shorter period of time and some people it takes longer. And I don't know if that's just a factor of how much they're doing or how much stress is on them or how much stress people can handle. I mean, you probably know better than I would on those things. But how do you determine the symptoms that you might be getting kind of close to burning out?
0: I think it's on a level of self-awareness, right? And so when you stop and ask yourself like the the questions of when's the last time I felt happy, when's the last time on a scale of one to five, how meaningful do I think my work is to the company I work for, the company that I own, How much time on a scale of one to five would I describe as having completely for myself? How much clarity do I have on what my purpose is? And so we have a clarity assessment on our website that you can take for free that can help you just with self-awareness, because that's really the first step there is the self-awareness. And to your point, though, Matt, burnout is not like kindergarten through 12th grade, where you're going to go through the steps and the progression in a certain period of weeks for a certain period of time, you'll bounce around all the time. There may be things that can add to your life, like a new baby, you know, there's for sure a honeymoon experience. And then The next day you could find yourself in burnout, you know, with being able to dump all of yourself too quickly into something. And so I like to think about the analogy of pouring from an empty cup and the majority of us just aren't dedicating or recognizing the need to fill that cup and we also live in a society where massage pedicures are are the first things that come to mind when we think about self-care and yet when we think about auto maintenance it's like we would never think about driving our you know Mercedes or BMW past 5000 miles without its routine maintenance so why do we drive ourselves 500,000 miles with no maintenance and no oil change and no tire rotation and expect to have these high performance levels.
2: Yeah, it's true. And uh, I think that when you talk about, you know, maintaining performance, it is super important to have that kind of alignment with the purpose and the goal and the mission of, you know, the company or if you work for a larger organization, the companies do have a hard time kind of aligning the staff with their goals often. And, and a lot of times that's just not even something they've considered. You know, they're like, we make widgets. And so your part of making widgets is this thing and do your job kind of thing, right? And it's not, we're making widgets because they're part of something that makes someone's life better. You know, there's, there's definitely a kind of an internal marketing problem in most organizations where they don't have a common goal and a common purpose and everybody's not kind of driving the same way.
0: Yeah. There's also a severe lack of empathy and authenticity and transparency in a lot of companies. And I can only speak for the American companies and the limited amount of international companies that our firm has worked with in the aspect that we typically find ourselves working with companies that want to be held accountable and want to be transparent. And we find in the discovery process with potential clients when we start to point out some of the gaps in what they say they want and what they're actually doing or what they say they're doing on their website and what they're actually doing. And they get in defensive mode, which, you know, if you're listening to this, that's kind of human nature, but to be truly open-minded, we have these huge major movements around diversity and inclusion. And, you know, we talked about offline, my service animal. And so being a, a visible professional with a invisible disability and being able to talk about that. And, you know, what does it look like to be an inclusive environment? And I'm going to remind people that diversity is counting. Inclusion is collaboration and inclusiveness. You know, it's actual culture of an organization. And so to be able to go back and, and, touch on the burnout, 84% of companies, this was a McKinsey study, actually 84% of individuals that were interviewed said that their companies had that purpose was important to them. Yet only 42% of the companies had purpose somewhere in their statements of what was important, you know, or what they presented and less than a quarter of the companies that was number one or number two in their actuals purpose statements. And so when you say, yes, you know, our our culture, our purpose, we're person aligned, you know, and you're not inviting feedback from your internal resources, it's very difficult to connect what I show up for in the day, Matt, and the widget that I'm making To the end product, whether that's a Tesla, whether that's a cell phone, whether that's an app. You know, I want to be able to see that process from start to finish. It takes self awareness, but it also takes that culture of transparency and authenticity and communication, as in any good relationship. I mean, you you guys have a marriage, it's hard work to continue to be on the same page. So, I don't know how many times I would have fired my husband if he worked for me. <laughs> um, that's why he doesn't work in my companies, but you know, we, it, it's communication, it's authenticity, it's transparency, it's vision, and it's a shared vision. And it really is the most successful companies that we work with and that we see with it's bottom up. It's not top down. It's not top down saying here are our priorities and this is what we're going to do. It's bottom up saying, what are our priorities and what do you think we should be focused on in order to make the most impact on this world? And what do you think that your purpose is in order to contribute to that. So we're seeing kind of a retirement of the traditional job descriptions, which I love.
3: Well, I feel like as we are moving forward as a country, we are, uh, we're kind of seeing the shift in, in corporations really actually taking care of their people and taking care of their environment and living with their purpose like out in front of them and going for it instead of just making, we just make widgets and we make as many as we can because we'll profit off as many as we can sell. And that's going to be a huge difference, I think, in how people, especially in the United States, identify with their jobs if they are seeing their job purpose align with their own personal purpose. Yeah, that's it's a really cool transition I think that we're living through right now
0: yeah and giving space for people to explore that question that we haven't been asked in second grade of what do you want to be when you grow up not what kind of paycheck do you want but what do you want to be when you grow up and being able to ask that earlier and more often and later and more often in our lives because I I people are like, how did you go from being a stunt woman to being, you know, owning five companies? Well, it was a lot of F-ups and a lot of self-awareness and a lot of self-exploration and a lot of figuring out, I didn't retire as a stunt woman and say, I'm never going to do stunts again. I really like being a part of a team. I really understand, you know, how to evaluate risk now. And these are the parts that I want to continue to, do in my life. I think this gets me closer to my purpose. So for your listeners that are like, well, Bunny, just tell me how to find my purpose tonight. It is a journey. Your purpose is always evolving in some way, shape or form, because your identity is always continuing to evolve in some way, shape or form. And if the past couple months of the pandemic and of this awakening of these diversity and inclusion movements and Black Lives Matter and defund the police have raised something in you. I just had a conversation with a really good friend yesterday, and he's a Black entrepreneur. And he was saying, you know, it's the first time that when i watched the george floyd movie or george floyd video it's the first time that i openly cried about this and it's it's something that i've experienced and that i've watched and all this kind of stuff but it's really the first time carrie to your point that he said that he's felt moved to action and so we are definitely in a accountable and action-oriented environment right now, if you are a business owner and transparency, no one is expecting you to be perfect. But if you go out there and you say that diversity and inclusion is what we eat, drink, and sleep, and then you don't do that, be prepared for a shitstorm of people saying, you know, like you're not doing this.
2: And let's be honest though most companies who have this like okay we need to like get on this initiative of diversity they like gather the marketing team and the C level staff into you know maybe a couple people from their board of directors into a room and they draft this statement about how their company's so inclusive and then they tell the HR people to like you know Hire some more people who aren't white, and that's their solution. And the rest of it is just a bunch of horseshit, right? That everybody can see through. And it's just so damaging to their companies, right? Because they're, it's so obvious. We're talking about the commercials earlier, right, when we were talking before we started recording of companies saying, oh, you know, we're all in this together and this is blah, 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 blah. Right. And we we're pivoting towards innovation and and just like, shut up. I mean, you're not right. (laughs) You know, there's very few companies that are doing any more than just putting out some lip service.
0: Let's recognize the companies that are doing it, though, from, like I said, a bottom up. So from a peer group model to offer that to your listeners, that's a really good place to start. To Matt's point, you know, these these initiatives don't come from executives in HR, or executives in the C-level. These initiatives come from internal culture changes. And so peer groups, forum groups is is a really within the company within large companies is a really great place to turn and to get that kind of feedback. And then from a mental health perspective, I can't tell you what it does for a human being within a company to just feel heard to just feel a part of that conversation and, you know, to be able to give their feedback. And so what you don't want is to Matt's point of where you do these peer groups and you do all of this gathering of this feedback, and then you take no action or you take action. That's not in line with what the feedback is, make the entire, process as transparent as possible, make it as, you know, open and Hey, we don't know what we don't know. So help, you know, us help this company become, the company that it should be rather than the company that it is, it's called a purpose gap. So it's where we are currently in reality and where we want to be or where we desire to be or where we think we should be. And so that purpose gap is often where we get burnt out. And because there's all of this energy that's trying to get us to this place and we don't, actually have the tools or the means or the space or the plan, whatever it is in order to do that. And so not feeling recognized as a black individual or as a female or you know that that can all lead to burnout because it's a part of your purpose. Like I, I, his name's Sam. so when Sam and I were talking, he's like, I've always led as being a black man first. Now, I'm not black and I'm not a man, so I I can't empathize there, but that statement helps me understand where he's coming from better. And so what I can say to him is I hear you and that statement helps me understand where you're coming from better. And I appreciate you sharing that with me. Now, you know, there is a really solid foundation for us to move forward and actually make some action steps that are tangible. And that will, what I'm, what I'm basically saying is that it's possible to raise humanity in a way that solves for mental health as well. And ultimately it's not companies against racism, it is, or, you know, companies against insert whatever here. It's humanity versus anything not human.
2: Yeah, there's definitely a move for companies that can take very simple steps to not only be more inclusive, but show that in, in, in a transparent way. I know a good example, and, and this is one that kind of gets used fairly often, was the New York Philharmonic had almost no female players in most of the spots for their orchestra. And... What had been said was that, you know, this is not very inclusive to women. And a lot of people had the comments, well, the, there's just men that are better than than women at playing. And that's why they're chosen. And what they did is they said, well, let's do do an experiment. Right. And we'll have the the kind of the resumes of the people won't have any gender related or names or anything on them. And then the people have to play behind a curtain. So you can't see what gender the person is or get any kind of tips to their gender right before they play. And what happened was the people that were auditioning more than 50 percent of the people who were chosen after they started doing that were women. So it turns out people just had a bias that men would be better musicians. But it turned out actually the opposite was true.
0: Yeah, so I'll give a plug and a shout out for one of the most incredible authors on the subject of her. Their book is unconscious bias. And they also have several other books, a subtle acts of exclusion and how to erase institutional bias. But it's something that when somebody says, I don't see color, or I don't see gender, you know, I'm just looking at the resume. We all have subtle biases, unconscious and conscious. And it, My mother, this is a ridiculous example of bias, but my mother will go to the store and she has this brand of mac and cheese that she grew up with and she believes that it is the best tasting mac and cheese. Now, I made the same mac and cheese, different brand and didn't tell her and she thought it was awesome. And so it's it's basically just looking at it as more of what what's the purpose the purpose is to have an incredible family meal and you know, I don't believe that this blue box or this white box is really the difference between having an incredible family meal. And so where where can we eliminate or be more aware of our biases? And I think Matt that that's an incredible exercise because we know it's obviously not true. At the end of the day, we're humans. And so that that's the common thread is that we're humans, and what we believe we can. Henry Ford said it: whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, either way to write. And I tell my nine-year-old all the time, and I think she gets super annoyed at me. Her other thing that she gets annoyed at me is she goes, "Mom, I'm hungry," and I say, "Bonjour, hungry, I'm mom." <laughs> she, I think she wants to throttle me every single time. time. What I'm trying to articulate to her is that, you know, your words are really powerful. And so if you're going to use your words, advocate for your needs, advocate for what you want, advocate for what you believe in, rather than just saying I'm hungry and leaving it up to me to fulfill your needs or rather than saying, you know, I can't do my math homework, you know, whatever it is, I can't clean my room. Well, let's reverse engineer that. I'm not the one who went in there and threw like a animal house type party in your room and messed it up. (laughs) So if we reverse engineer it, I'm pretty sure you can clean it. And, but it's just being able to, I do my best not to micromanage as a parent, And as a business owner, because my daughter, you know, like this weekend, she wanted to watch Wonder Woman. She said, mom, that's, that's you. And, and I'm, I like, I'm so humbled by her view on that. And the fact that she thinks that when people ask her, like, what does your mom do for a living? She's like, you know, mom saves the world. I'm humbled and honored by that. But I'm also consciously aware of why she, I want to continue to ask her, why do you think that? because I want her opinion. I don't want her. And, you know, she says, when I grow up, I want to save the world like you. And I said, well, that's impossible. And here's why is because I'm me and you're you. And so I have no doubt in my mind that you're going to do it better than me. But if you spend your life trying to be me, ultimately, no matter what you do in life, you're going to fail because there's only one me. And so I'm not Wonder Woman, you know, I, I'm no Linda Carter. I'm me. And I save the world differently than with a lasso of truth. I do call bullshit on a lot of my clients, but <laughs> I think that I would probably lose most respect if I tied my clients up with a lasso at any point. So, you know, the, the-
2: that would be pivoting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the but, but lesson there, though, is to make space to figure out what your purpose is. And especially for our children, if you are listening to this and you're a parent. Making space for kids to figure out who they are is really important and also to make space for them to advocate for themselves and to try out who they are. I have a nine-year-old going on 17 who is constantly trying to figure out who she is and push back on me and see where the limits are. And, you know, she comes at me and thinks that we're about to have a throwdown. And, you know, I sidetrack her by just creating space for her to answer her own question. And it's one. One of the most valuable skills that I hope to leave her with is the ability to be self aware of your emotions, your needs and what you want and how to find your purpose, because that is a tool in my toolbox. that I'm so thankful that I have and also to be able to solve your own problems. And I often say with my companies, like, please don't come to me with a problem. Come to me with an idea. Because if, if you're experiencing the problem, I'm three, four, five, ten 10 steps away from that problem. So my solution to it is is going to suck. You know, I may have some experience with that problem in my past that I can share with you. So I'm happy to provide you with an experience. But ultimately, I'd love to hear your idea. And again, that's from this very, you know, herd-focused mentality in our company that is not hierarchical you know i'm i'm not the boss i own the companies but i don't even write the checks and so we all have a joke about that is like you know ultimately i don't know how much authority i have because i don't write the checks so you know <laughs> like I, growing up i remember like my grandfather was the one who said that he's like I don't actually write the checks. So I guess the accountant has more power than I do. So we're we're beyond the days of, "Hey bunny, can you sign this? There's there's people that are a lot smarter than me around me making decisions that are what's best for the company and hopefully what's best for making a difference and truly making the world a better place."
2: So Carrie, we were watching a TV show. It's like a documentary about food. I think it's called Ugly Delicious. Is that the one where they have the food <laughs>
3: I watch a lot of those food documentaries.
2: <laughs> so anyways, they had mentioned a study in it because they were talking about kind of the differences between street food, like when you go to a food vendor at a street cart or something like that. Right. And then you go to like a formal restaurant and they're serving something that's almost identical, but it's... White tablecloths and, and like tweezer food, they like to call it, where everything is put in the place it's supposed to be on the perfect plate. And, and, you know, the environment has beautiful music playing and there's an ambiance to it and there's all this kind of stuff. And what happens is when when you there was a study, actually a marketing study done on this in France several years ago where they took the meals and they split them onto two plates and one of them was a paper plate and it goes to a room that just has like picnic tables in it and the rest of it looks like trash. And the other side of the room has fancy white tablecloths. It's brought to you by a server who's in a suit and all this kind of stuff and has the music and everything. And people rate the food as tasting better when they're in the nicer ambiance, right? When they're in the nicer restaurant, even though it's the identical food cut in half, put on two different plates, the food tastes better in a nicer place. And that is actually an an implicit bias that people have, right? Just like there's the study done, and and I I don't know if they mentioned this in that show, it might have been a different one, where they take wine and they put the same wine in three different bottles with three different price tags and they pour it out for everybody and everybody says the wine that's more expensive tastes better, right? You have a bias in your brain that says if something costs more money, it should be better quality and therefore should taste better. And marketing biases happen constantly. And it's because humans as as the creatures that we are. We take shortcuts. We may, we pattern match, right? So if I, I think my favorite, our friend Tanya's example is, man, I can't believe every BMW driver is such an a-hole because some BMW driver cut her off like 10 years ago. It doesn't mean that every other one is an a-hole. It just means that one was. But now she's looking for confirmation bias. So every time she sees someone cuts her off, she thinks, well, that guy's probably got a BMW, right? <laughs> or anytime anyone in a car cuts her off, it's no big deal. But if it's a BMW, she goes, yeah, that's what those BMW drivers do, right? Because it's confirmation bias, right? And everybody has these kind of confirmation biases and marketing biases and stuff. And you have to be really aware of that when you're doing your messaging, even internal to your company, when you're doing marketing to people that they're going to have already have biases and you need to be able to, you know, dress up your your product or your message in that nice restaurant, right? Because you want people to say, hey, this is a better quality thing. Or as another example, I remember we had a client and, and we were talking to them and we were like, we need to fix some of these things on, on your website and your social media. And they, they said, well, we don't really want to do that because we don't want our clients to think that we're expensive you know. So there's there's interesting ways that it can actually go both ways. It can go, you know, we we want our product to have a higher perceived value. But in some cases, you may actually want it to have a lower perceived value because maybe you're a commodity or something inexpensive. Right. But I think it's a really interesting conversation about how bias is more than just bias against like racism. Right. Or bias against somebody who has maybe got a medical condition or something like that. Right. So I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that you have a service dog i was
0: wondering where we were going with the picnic tables and the paper plates and what the question was (laughs) going to be like i get
2: sidetracked a bit bit sometimes
0: so the only thing i can tell you on that we have a saying in our family where my i own the house next door to to my house and my parents live there and so i will text my mom and be like can you put a baked potato in for me and this will be like as as i'm driving i have a 45 minute, an hour drive home. And she's like, well, why can't you do it when you get home? I'm like, but it tastes so much better when you do it. You can taste the love. And it's something that we've said since my grandmother cooked and all of that kind of stuff. But to your point, Matt, I think it's a hundred percent true. Like for sure, anything that I don't have to cook tastes better. The cooking is not one of my passions, but at the same time, it's, it's when it's done A baked potato from my mom's oven tastes so much better than when I go to Restaurant X and get a baked potato. I do think that you can taste the love. I do think that you can taste the energy. And I've been to barbecue joints out in the middle of nowhere. Now, I'm a vegetarian, but when I used to eat meat, I've been to barbecue joints out in the middle of nowhere that are family-owned barbecue joints. And I believe with my whole entire heart, that you can taste the love. And if you take me to the restaurant with the white tablecloth and and all of that, and I'm thinking about what how many hours away from my children I'm going to have to sacrifice in order to pay for that meal, I personally will not enjoy it as much as I would if we were all gathered around, you know, the family table and we made a taco bar or something like that. So every human is different in that aspect of what you've experienced growing up and what you continue to experience and what you add to that. So with that being said, plus the, the service dog doesn't go under the white tablecloth table we would end up with like a whole Beethoven scene for anybody <laughs> old enough to remember that movie, you know, if if Guinness tried to go under the table.
2: Nice. So I think to the point of, you know, like the idea that it tastes, you know, the like kind of taste the love idea. I think there's something to the idea of if somebody is passionate about what they're making, it's going to be better than if somebody's like I go to work as a cook, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's nothing saying that somebody can't be passionate about going to work as a cook either, right? But there's also people who go to work and who are like, man, this sucks, but I got to do this because I got to pay rent at the end of the month, you know? And honestly, there's a lot of people who are cooks right now, that don't have a job, right? Because yes. <laughs> the well. whole coronavirus thing and and restaurants and obviously the hospitality industry is taking a huge dive. And talking about burnout, I mean, yeah, that's you know such a thing when you when you have trouble making a living or making ends meet or you got to deal with problems like you know calling places to figure out your health care or your insurance or whatever right there's so many things
0: and when we work with companies and you know companies are shopping on price i immediately know that it's not going to be a good match for us because we don't charge for our services. Our clients invest in themselves with us as partners in order to get to whatever the goals are. And so it is truly an investment in themselves. And so when they say, well, you're too expensive, it's basically telling themselves that they're not worth that much for that result. And so I appreciate the fact that they're self-selecting out of our process because it's brutal to be able to, look in the mirror and find the person that you love staring back at you that that is a journey and be able to do it whether you're standing at a mirror at work or standing in a mirror at home a hundred percent of the time and feel like you're in your flow and feel like you're in your purpose and so people say well on the business coaching side you know your fees are are on the high side and you know on The business coaching side, first off, I'm not a business coach, we're a work life alignment firm. And I consider myself more of a business therapist, our value is off the value scale. As far as what our firm has accomplished and what we've been able to pair with the psychology of human behavior, as well as purpose and essentially little planting little entrepreneurship seeds in each and every person within the company so that they own their outcome and they feel like they have value to bring to that company. And so that's another thing as far as value versus expense. It's just a mindset and a perspective shift. We don't have a single client that we charge money to. We have clients that invest in themselves.
2: Yeah, I think um, in in kind of the work we do, it's it's similar. You know, it's we help companies save time and make more money through, you know, digital marketing, obviously. It's for the Digital Marketing Masters podcast. But I think you have to have companies who see the value before they engage you, right? If they're even coming up with those questions, you immediately know it's not going to work out, right? Like, rarely are you going to have someone who, like, clicks at the last minute. I mean, yeah, it does happen sometimes, but... Usually, if somebody's asking those types of questions about pricing and stuff, like, well, you're more expensive than this person. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm not a widget. Right. So you have to be able to value your service. And that's something that Carrie and I talk a lot about in our groups and on the podcast and stuff is that not only do people not charge enough, but they often are like they're selling their service in comparison to other people who do something similar when they don't do the same thing, right?
3: Well, they don't come from the same background. They don't have the same experiences. They don't provide the same product or service, even if it's similar. They don't have the same costs associated with it or like rent that they have to pay or all of that stuff. So, I mean, you really have to come up with your costs and your prices based on your own stuff, not because Joe down the street charges X amount of dollars.
2: Yeah. I mean just even with our own company, over six years we've increased the cost of our services five times over. And we still are providing way more value, right, than than the client ever pays for. And so when you look at, you know, from a from a cost you know, investment perspective, I guess, let me, let me rephrase my question. I'm kind of rambling for a sec here, <laughs> but I, I want to drill down to what my actual question is. So when a company comes to you and comes to you and they want you to help them with work-life alignment and, and kind of, you know, getting that business purpose alignment, what does that engagement look like for a company?
0: So we both have to be a hell yes. So we both have to have our clear goals on on what we want to do. So we'll have basically an initial conversation, think about it in psychological terms as, you know, an intake or an assessment. And I want to understand what the what it is that you want and where you want to go and what you think is holding you back and make sure that those are all within our bailiwick because we're a very bespoke agency a very bespoke firm and so then we typically one of the things that that we do best is that we join their process rather than having them join us in our process so we we're not selling them an a to z bunnies you know, course to work-life alignment for Corporation X. We are evaluating their process and seeing how we can add ourselves into their current process in order to improve those and in order to change that narrative and see a little bit more about what their culture is. So that's worked out really well for us. And I've had clients where I've had two sessions and we've signed contracts and I've had clients where we've talked for four months, you know, I've, I've actually for years, you know, with back and forth until they're finally like, I'm ready. We, we have a client right now who... They happen to be a husband and wife business owner, and they're having a baby. And I got a frantic message from them that's like, you know, we, we've we needed to do all of these things in our business. But now that we're having a baby, like now we have a timeline. And it's like, in reality, you always <laughs> had a timeline. But whatever it is, like now, you know, being able to, it's a it's a multi-state, multi-location company to be able to have that motivation to, to really get the processes in place so that you're fulfilling your purpose instead of a JoB and if you're a business owner and you're listening to this th- there is a risk that you have built a JoB where if you extract yourself from the company that your purpose will not continue to be fulfilled and I think that you owe it to the world to build a legacy business that can survive beyond you if you're spending all this time building a business and building a company my grandmother used to say if you're going to sit in the same class as the kids that are getting C's and F's and spend the same amount of time at least get an A. And so, you know, if you're if you're gonna put the time in, you might as well share your knowledge of how you make decisions in creating processes and creating methods for your company so that the next generation can benefit from that, whether or not they they take on that company, but being able to share how you think about things. That's been my biggest obstacle is getting what's in between the six and between my ears and the 12 inches between my brain and my heart, out onto paper in blogs in books. And I'm still working on it. And I have a couple of books, but still working on it. And YouTube has been phenomenal for that because you know, my desire is to, to be able to give it all away for free. If you want to go and spend 300 hours on YouTube, it's probably more than that, but you can get every piece of knowledge that I have caught up and recorded at this time. But the difference between an engagement and a personal relationship with our company is that you're getting that information delivered when it's relevant. And you're also getting accountability and you're getting support and you're not in it. And Carrie, I'm going to say this. You're, you're not in it alone. So, <laughs> um, you know, being able that that transforms that relationship and that investment exponentially. It's a difference between getting information and getting accountability, support and guidance through that process. But yeah, I'll tell anyone all of my information that I have thus far recorded is all up on YouTube. So if you have several hundred hours and you want it, go for it.
3: (laughs) Well, basically, you're developing people. You're developing people who would take it and run with it. There's a difference between, I mean, if we use go back to the school analogy, the people in your group project to the two people who do it, and then the three people that just sign their name at the bottom saying that they were there. Obviously, the two people that did all of the work know all of that knowledge and are going to be better at life
0: than, than the three people who just floated by and did did nothing. I will confess that I was in certain subjects, the individual who just floated by and signed their, signed their <laughs> thing. However, as a CEO, I can now tell you that my delegation skills and my outsourcing skills are on point. Yeah,
2: yeah. That's right. When you get into those big projects and and there's only one person who ends up doing all the work, everybody else thinks they're the lucky one, right? But it's actually the person who did the work who's the lucky one because they're the one who learned how to do it and everybody else won't know anything. So let me ask you this. Is there anything that we haven't discussed yet that you think would be good for our listeners to know?
0: I think that the most valuable thing that you can possibly ever invest in is not stocks. It's not bonds. It's not gold. It's not real estate. It's yourself. So, how are you investing in yourself and how are you going to continue to invest in yourself and really what are you worth because at the end of the day to your point matt i think that every single one of us are guilty at undervaluing ourselves at one point in time if not several points in time and so today can we take a deep breath to just take a moment and value ourselves. And then also ask the question of how I'm going to invest in myself. And if you're answering with a pedicure or going golfing and all of that, that's a start. But it's an ongoing practice. Self-investment is a practice. Self-awareness is a practice and purpose takes practice.
2: Right. So if somebody wants to engage with you, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you?
0: So, bunnyyoung.com is the website that holds the keys to all of the the ways to get a hold of me. If you want to have fun on Instagram, Bunny has six legs is my Instagram handle, and you'll see all of the shenanigans of my family day to day life, being a serial entrepreneur and a mompreneur and uh, an army wife. There's more Great Danes than there is kids, which you can judge me however you want for that. <laughs> (laughs) And probably more horses as well. And then if you want to follow the business, it's at A Better Place Consulting. And of course, as we've already mentioned, YouTube, the Power of Purpose YouTube channel has a ton of videos and information up there that I hope you go and at least watch the battle between me and DJ Khaled on the YouTube channel because that's up there right now
2: right well thanks for being on the show today and carrie always thanks for being co-host and uh, so bunny young business therapist we will have the information in the show notes that you can get at hookseo.com slash podcast bunny thanks for being on the show
0: thank you so much for having me stay safe and stay sane
1: This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business.